Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. It is the open university of the airwaves. There are no tuition fees, and you are positively encouraged to speak back to the teacher. It is a unique show, at least in the Anglosphere, and it has the biggest audience of any similar show in the Anglosphere. I say biggest, I don't just mean on the internet, though it definitely is that, but it beats the flagship programs of Sky and BBC and GB News and all the others into a cocked hat. It is watched by people in North America, in Australasia, in South Africa, in India, in Abu Dhabi, in Saudi Arabia, and of course in Britain and Ireland and across Europe. Anyone who can understand English is increasingly tuning in to the mother of all talk shows. And so the argument about whether a midweek mother of all talk shows could be sustained became otios. We proved that with the mom and pop television, no budget TV of the Galloway show made just by Gayatri and me in our back room when our audiences were reaching sometimes 75% of the audience of the mothership, the mother of all talk shows itself. But listen in for the nuggets. We are sponsored for the first hour of this show, for the first month at least, by Critical Cosmetics, which, as far as I can see, is as unique as the mother of all talk shows itself. It's a passion project by a man, Ravi, that you'll meet later. It's his birthday, by the way. I hope you'll all wish him the very happiest of birthdays. What a way to celebrate his birthday by becoming the first ever commercial sponsor of the mother of all talk shows. His company that makes critical cosmetics and many other things uh, and is about to launch uh, foods and ingredients and all kinds of other paraphernalia is just about as green a company as it is possible to imagine. And a portion of their profits goes directly into regenerating native environments that were partially, if not completely, destroyed when globalized capitalism took control of them, wrung them of every cent of profit and left them in a state of ruin. As I say, we'll be talking to Ravi in the second hour, but the first hour is wholly sponsored by him. But the second hour isn't sponsored yet at all, although there are many leads, there are many discussions going on. And we hope uh, next week that we will have, if not then, then the week after that we will have the second hour sponsored. As long as it isn't sponsored, it needs to be sponsored by you. And the way to do that on YouTube is to go to the Super Chat mechanism and make a donation. 
of one pound, one dollar or one euro. They're all worth more or less the same now. Not that much need for calculation. Maybe that was uh, an accident. Maybe it was design. But give us one. That's all I'm asking for. I'm worth one, right? I'm worth one pound, one euro or one dollar. Of course, if you can afford to give more, please do. But please give a pound, give a dollar, give a euro, as long as we don't have a sponsor for the second hour. You don't have to sponsor the whole hour. You can be a part sponsor of the second hour. You could even sponsor my cup, which would uh, mean I'd have a better one to drink my tea out of. No disrespect to my missus, it's from the Netherlands. It could have been a clog, uh, but it's a windmill cup. You can get in touch with us and find ways that your products, your services can be shouted out and displayed on the screen of a show with a gigantic worldwide audience. There's so much to talk about tonight. I was going to dedicate this show to Tulsi Gabbard, fragrant, beautiful, brilliant, brave, who left the so-called Democratic Party this week in a stentorian address that might well be a precursor to her running for president in 2024. Personally, I hope so. Uh, if not in concert with someone else, uh, as a running mate maybe of Donald Trump, uh, as a running mate of Bernie Sanders, if Bernie could get off his ass and leave the, the poisoned environment of the US Democratic Party, they'd be quite a good double act. Tulsi Gabbard is brave and brilliant. She is a serving reserve military officer. No peacenik her. She cannot be outflanked by people who dodged the draft, never went anywhere near Vietnam or any of the other wars that they sent other people's sons into. Tulsi Gabbard left the Democratic Party in a hail of shot and shell aimed by her at them. She called them a party of warmongers, a party of the elite. She is the woman, of course, who called for the release and the pardoning by Donald Trump of Julian Assange in the last days of his presidency, saying that the persecution of Assange was a threat to freedom of speech and to the freedom of the press for all Americans. She did not succeed then, but she has not changed her mind and continues to be amongst the very few frontline American politicians campaigning for the freedom of Julian Assange. She's the woman who, in what I described as the tweet of all time, and it still holds that title so far as I am concerned, when she denounced Hillary Clinton as a warmonger in words that Shakespeare himself would have been proud of. Look it up if you don't believe me. But I'm not going to. There are many differences I have with Tulsi Gabbard and many more that she has with me. So I don't want to be a monkey on her back. So I'm not dedicating this show to Tulsi Gabbard. I'm dedicating it instead to Matthew White, whom I've never met, to the best of my knowledge, and who lives in North America, but who told me today 
that he listened to the very first mother of all talk shows on talk sport radio in 2006 and has listened to and now watched every single edition since. In all those years, he has not missed a single edition. So Matthew, this one is for you. Now they said on Sky News just before I sat down that uh, at the 1822 committee, it's really the 1922 committee, but it might as well be the 1822 committee, which is the body of conservative members of parliament, there was a great deal of banging on the desks at the end of the address given to them by Liz Truss, at the moment, the Prime Minister of Great Britain. Now, the banging might have been knuckles on wood in approbation, or it might have been heads on wood, as the collective members of the Parliamentary Conservative Party beat their heads in exasperation at how they managed to find the stupidest woman in England to be their leader and Britain's Prime Minister. One of them told Sky News on the way out, she's cardboard, isn't she? We just have to live with it. The Sky News reporter said, but can she win you the next election? And the Conservative grandee said, oh no, we're not going to win the next election. We are F you, you know the rest, as Joe Biden would say. The Conservatives have plunged Britain into economic and political crisis. I was watching last night uh, the Kenneth Branagh uh, docudrama uh, called This England, I think, about uh, the premiership of Boris Johnson. Uh, the first episode makes it clear that he did have quite a bit of bad luck uh, coming into office uh, just as Brexit was being done, the first waves of the coronavirus pandemic began lapping at his feet. But thereafter, he made blunder after blunder after blunder, and he and his administration committed crime after crime after crime. Uh, I mean crime. I mean high crimes and misdemeanors, for which one day I hope they will appear in court before the justice system. But the one thing I would have to say is that Boris Johnson was not made of cardboard. Boris Johnson was a real flesh and blood person. Boris Johnson was a person of substance and weight, a person who could fight his way out of a corner because he had the erudition, he had the vocabulary, he had the historical memory to make you forget about what it was he was being attacked for in the first place. Liz Truss can do none of that. She can hardly bite her nails. As I said on Sunday, if she walked into the town hall in Cleethorpes, Lancashire, and claimed to be a member of the local council, nobody would believe her. They'd think she was a madwoman that wandered in off the street. She is now the British Prime Minister, at least for now, because the Tories are thinking about getting rid of her already, less than 60 days after her installation as the Prime Minister of Britain. They might even turn back to Boris Johnson. Do you know what? They might even do worse than turning back to Boris Johnson. At least we'd have something to laugh about as we went down, slipped down 
below the waves. But of course, the two big stories that we are focusing on tonight concern our two new enemies. I speak as a citizen of Great Britain. I'm even wearing its flag, in case you thought it was a Russian one or a French one, even more unlikely. I am British. What happens to Britain and the British matters to me more than what happens anywhere else to anywhere, anyone else. And so I regard aghast the situation that occurred today, where thanks to a leak to that well-known geopolitical journal, Rupert Murdoch's son, we discover that Britain has officially designated China as a threat to the United Kingdom. A threat to the United Kingdom means an enemy of the United Kingdom. That's why I entered it that way in the poll that I've got running. Is China an enemy of the UK? I'm astonished that so far, more than a quarter of the respondents think China is an enemy of the UK. I hope they'll have the courage to call the show tonight and explain why they think that. But the designation of China as an enemy of the United Kingdom means that we have left the European Union, slipped anchor from uh, a 28-member union, which guaranteed us, if not friends, at least allies, up to a point, and we have sailed off into a sea, having declared both of the great Eurasian powers our enemies. We are at war with Russia, and now we have designated China as an enemy state. How different things were just a few years ago, when David Cameron and George Osborne declared a golden age in Anglo-Sino relationships. So golden that George Osborne took a super remunerative role in a hedge fund and a venture capitalist outfit that was doing great business in China. Maybe that's what they meant by the golden age. How different now? Eight years ago, it was a golden age. Now, China is an enemy, official reported in Rupert Murdoch's gutter press before Parliament was told about it. But what does it mean now? How do we hope we, a country with a total armed forces, Air Force, Navy, Army, whose entire armed forces could fit into a mid-level football stadium in England, Villa Park, for example, definitely the Riverside, the stadium of that giant football club, Middlesbrough. How does it work that a tiny little country whose economy is broken, whose lights are going out, whose inflation is rampant, whose recession is upon us, before the winter has even begun, levels of fuel poverty never seen before in this country. People are out, I live in the countryside, people are out cutting firewood. They better not be caught cutting down my firewood because I'm going to need it for 
myself and my own household. In Germany, there's a whole industry of people out there cutting down trees. How environmentally friendly we've become. You can smell the methane released by the terrorist act of blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines. You can smell it from space. It was revealed this week. It is wonderful, isn't it? These hypocrites. It's only yesterday they were in Glasgow at the COP conference weeping because we didn't go far enough in halting industrialization. For other people, we're already industrialized. In paving the entire world green, of banning the use of coal, South Africa was bribed by Germany to stop producing coal. Germany is now buying South African coal. How does it work? that this England, this sceptered isle, can make an enemy simultaneously without any historical understanding of Napoleon, never mind Hitler, of fighting a war on two fronts against two hypersonically armed thermonuclear powers. Perhaps we think that China means us some harm. I presume that's what they mean by threat, but China has never done us any harm. We, on the other hand, have done plenty of harm to China, including this supremely stupid designation of China as a threat today. I've left the Russia-Ukraine subject to the end of my monologue because the next guest knows the subject even better than mine. So let me just say that last Sunday, I predicted that the next morning, a hard rain was going to fall, that the sky would be blacked out with a cloud of missiles and rockets that would be raining down on the infrastructure of Ukraine six months after the start of a war in which Russia has deliberately tied one hand behind its back and the other hand is still wearing velvet gloves. But the gloves came off, as I predicted on Monday. The battlefield changed. The war changed. The exaltation about the terror attack on the Kerch Bridge was left tasting like ashes in the mouths of those who had been exulting. Happy birthday, Mr. President. The Ukrainian government laughed, but they're not laughing now. In fact, they might not even be in Ukraine now. If they are, they are in the bowels of the earth now. No more glad, confident morning for the coup regime in Kiev, glorying in its financial and military largesse from the richest countries in the world, in the European Union and in North America. The tide has turned. And who better to tell us about it than my guest, Scott Ritter, the former U.S. Marine intelligence officer and sage, seer 
of all he surveys in the field of warfare. Scott, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows, this time on our first midweek uh, after the relaunch. Uh, it's an auspicious evening and the more auspicious because you could uh, join us. Uh, tell us how things look today as compared to how they looked before the Kerch Bridge terror attack. I mean, before the, the, the terror attack against the Kerch Bridge, we were looking at a slow motion transition on the part of Russia. A decision had been made to partially mobilize to bring 300,000 reservists onto active duty. Um, a, a you know decision had been made to, and it's a dramatic decision, to incorporate uh, four formerly Ukrainian territories into the Russian Federation. Um, and while this was, I think, you know, groundbreaking in terms of the, the geopolitics of it, um, it hadn't fundamentally changed the situation on the ground. The Russian military was still overextended. Uh, the Ukrainians were still uh, enjoying the momentum of their uh, September offensive. Uh, and then the attack on the bridge came. And um, we, we've just seen a dramatic transition. The Russians have basically taken the brakes off. Uh, they've appointed a new commander, uh, ominously nicknamed General Armageddon. And um, he has been given, you know, he's the single commander of the entire theater. He makes all the decisions. He can use the weapons, anything short of nuclear weapons, uh, can be used to achieve the objectives. And um, within 24 hours of taking command, um, as you mentioned, the the skies, if not blackened by uh, by cruise missiles, uh, were definitely, there was a, uh, a, a definite presence felt by the Ukrainians as uh, scores of uh, critical strategic infrastructure targets were hit, not just one day, but the next day and the next day. I don't know how long this campaign will go, uh, if it truly is the initiation of a strategic air campaign designed to destroy um, the critical infrastructure of Ukraine in preparation for a large-scale Russian ground offensive, uh, mirroring, by the way, the approach taken by the United States in Desert Storm back in 1991, then uh, the Ukrainians are in for a very, very long and difficult uh, period of their history, one which we'll see um, the integrity of their nation degraded. It's tragic for the Ukrainian people. Um, it's tragic for Europe. It's tragic for everybody. Uh, but it's something that they brought upon themselves together with NATO, the United States, the European Union. And we see it. We see the impact of this. Um, we see the panic in the, in the voice of uh, Zelensky as he calls for preemptive nuclear strikes, as he begs for assistance. Um, pleads for more money, more weapons. We see NATO assembling a, an emergency meeting in Brussels where they're talking about sending hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars more of air defense systems uh, to you know, create from whole cloth an integrated air defense network capable of defending Ukraine from the, the Russian onslaught. I mean, things look good on paper when they're planned in a vacuum. Uh, you know, you can sit there in Brussels and say, I'm going to put a radar here, put some missiles here and we'll move it all around and, and shuffle. It's another thing to try to do that in the midst of an ongoing air campaign where Russia is going to be hunting you down and seeking to destroy you before these systems are put in. Um, you know, but all it shows is that NATO, rather than doing the right thing and going to Ukraine and saying, 
hey, we might want to look for a diplomatic off-ramp that allows you to preserve as much of your country as possible and as many lives as possible. NATO's doubling down on their bad bet, um, only you know, working to lengthen this tragic conflict, which in the end will result in the same outcome. Russia wins. Um, but this time, Russia's victory will come with a far greater you know, blood debt. Uh, tens of thousands of more Ukrainians will die. Thousands of Russians will die. Um, mothers will no longer have their husbands, will no longer have their sons, uh, wives. It, it's just, it, this is tragic for everybody. And uh, it just, it, it's something that seems to escape everybody in NATO, in Kiev, in Washington, D.C. It, it, it seems as if humanity no longer has any value, that it's all about geopolitics. It's all about trying to, uh, you know, outmaneuver Russia in, in some grand, uh, you know, global scheme. But war isn't about that. War is about people killing people, and that's what's going on right now. Uh, Stoltenberg uh, took the mask off, didn't he, yesterday? He said uh, a, a victory for the Russian side in this conflict would be a defeat for NATO, and that cannot be allowed to happen. This was a declaration of NATO's involvement in the war up front and public, wasn't it? 100%. I mean, it, it's also curious, again, that, um, you know, he chose this this moment to uh, to to take the mask off, as you uh, so eloquently said. Um, I thought, I mean, listening to Jan, um, that, that Russia was losing. I thought that the Russians were being defeated. I thought that Russia was on the run. I thought Ukraine had turned the tables, that this was decisive. Um, and suddenly, no, a Russian victory is a defeat for NATO, and we cannot let it happen. Stoltenberg's scared. Stoltenberg knows what's going on. Stoltenberg understands what happened. And that's why he did the next dumbest thing, which is to announce that NATO will continue a nuclear exercise next week. Uh, it's an annual exercise of NATO's nuclear uh, capabilities, but this is not the right time. You know, at a time in, when the president of Ukraine is calling for a preemptive NATO nuclear strike against Russia. Why would NATO exercise the very means that would be used to carry out a preemptive nuclear strike against Russia? Uh, the wise thing to do, uh, something that a man of maturity, uh, a, a, you know, a man of intelligence, a man of humanity would do, would be to cancel or postpone these uh, this this exercise so as not to unnecessarily. Uh, elevate tensions uh, at a time when nuclear weapons are being discussed. Uh, but that's not what he did. He, he doubled down on his notion that Russia cannot be allowed to win. Therefore, to help preclude a Russian victory, NATO is going to do what? Test its nuclear arsenal? This is insanity of the highest order. Yes, I mean, they'll be making dramas uh, about uh, that uh, in, in years to come, if we are permitted any years to come. Because, of course, upon that uh, announcement that you referred to, Russia immediately began exercises amongst its civilian population, distributing leaflets, putting out films, and uh, organizing the population to prepare for the possibility of weapons of mass destruction uh, coming in and, and, uh, and uh, being used to attack them. They are giving out leaflets, for example. I saw one earlier today, uh, which when translated was 
a leaflet telling you what to do about the possibility of radiation poisoning. Uh, it's like going back, uh, I don't know if you recall those days, Scott, uh, to the 1980s, uh, the placement of crews and Pershing missiles in Europe, the fear uh, amongst the, uh, the Eastern Bloc, uh, the Warsaw Pact countries, that nuclear war was going to be preemptively launched by NATO. Now, it never was going to be, and of course, it did not happen. But you still see great movies and dramas today about the tension that that led to. And I could hardly believe my ears when they announced they're going to have a nuclear drill at this moment where Joe Biden is talking about the possibility of nuclear Armageddon. Uh, George, this is this is super. I mean, first of all, I, I do remember the 1980s. Um, I was in the Marine Corps at the time of the, those deployments, and I was actually one of the inspectors that went into the Soviet Union. I was the first inspector into the Soviet Union uh, as part of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, which was signed between the United States and the Soviet Union to get rid of those weapons, to get rid of the Pershings, the cruise missiles, the Soviet SS-20s, etc. Um, and, and so this is why I, I take double umbrage at uh, Stoltenberg's comments. Hey, Stoltenberg, people like me sacrificed a whole bunch to get rid of those weapons, to create a, a situation where your relatives, your people, your citizens wouldn't have to live in fear under a nuclear umbrella that could collapse on them at any moment. We took that away so you could breathe easy, live easy. Now you're bringing it right back. I mean, this is literally lunacy of the highest order. And I'm not just you know worried about it. I'm angered. I mean, we spent a lot of time and effort and money making the world a safer place to live. And now, thanks to people like Jan Stoltenberg, Donald Trump for getting out of the INF Treaty, Joe Biden and others, uh, we're just going right back to square one. And we're making the same mistake. Able Archer 83 was a NATO nuclear uh, exercise that almost brought NATO and Russia to nuclear conflict because the Russians didn't realize until the last minute that this was just an exercise. They thought it was the real deal. And that's one of the things that led Ronald Reagan to sign the INF Treaty, this realization that we almost went to nuclear war over a mistake. Well, my goodness, read the history books, Stoltenberg. You're making the same mistakes. You can't always count on dodging the bullet. Now, uh, Scott, the, uh, when you uh, look back on it, you might say you didn't have to be Einstein to foresee it. Uh, the attack uh, by a terror uh, bomb uh, on the Kerch Bridge was a big mistake by Ukraine. One hundred percent. And, um, you know, but so was the, uh, the assassination of Daria Dugina. Um, you know, so were so many other things that are that have been done here. The, the Ukrainians ha are in danger of not just having the Russians recognize the reality of this regime, but the world to wake up to the fact that if you carry out an act of terrorism, which, of course, the attack on the Kirchbriz was, then those who perpetrate it are terrorists. And if a state sponsors this, they become state sponsors of terrorism. The Ukrainian government has literally defined itself as a state sponsor of terrorism, and its intelligence services are now a terrorist organization. 
Um, this is an uncomfortable reality for the people that support them. But it's it's one thing to have Russia call them out. It's another thing to have done something that actually pushed Russia in a direction that they did not want to go. You know, Russia could have taken the gloves off at any time over the past eight months, any time. They didn't. Russia has not been seeking this escalation. Russia has been seeking a diplomatic solution to this crisis. But now, because of this attack, diplomacy is off the table. The gloves are off, and the Ukrainians are going to pay, you know, as they said in Games of Thrones, the, the, the iron price. Um, it's, it, I don't think this ends well for Ukraine. In fact, I don't think this ends with Ukraine uh, being anywhere near the, the, the nation state we currently see. I think it's going to be uh, smaller, uh, more fractured, and it certainly won't be governed by you know, the Nazi embracing regime of uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. What did you make of the Belarusian uh, front, uh, the military movements that took place there over the last uh, 48 hours? The Belarus border is exceedingly close to Kiev. Uh, you can motor there very quickly. I have myself done so in uh, years gone by. Uh, it is uh, uh, it, it is a potentially lethal threat uh, to the Ukrainians if Belarus enters the war, isn't it? It is, but uh, Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, has made it clear that he doesn't have any intention to enter the war in terms of uh, fulfilling Russia's uh, objectives under the special military operation. He has been consistent in saying that Belarus has one task and one task only, and that is to stop NATO from stabbing Russia in the back while Russia carries out the Ukraine operation. Uh, but Lukashenko has also said that they will not allow Poland to move into Western Ukraine, that they will not allow Poland to take control of that territory. And what's been happening over the course of the summer is that Poland has been, um, in the United States, we call it sheep dipping, but basically changing the nature of Polish troops, transforming them into Ukrainian troops, and sending them to Ukraine to fight the Russians. We know this, why? Because there are hundreds of Polish corpses littering the battlefields. Uh, the Russians know exactly what's going on. Um, Poland is seeking to double down on this, and they're preparing more troops to be sheep dipped. And the Belarusians are becoming very concerned that Poland may be making a play for Western Ukraine, taking advantage of uh, the upcoming defeat of, of Ukraine. And Lukashenko said, I will not tolerate Poland extending its borders uh, you know, down my country, in effect, surrounding, trying to surround me. And so I believe the Poles are preparing to intervene, uh, to block any effort of the Poles to make a move on, um, on Western Ukraine. And this would be a decisive uh entry into the uh, into the conflict. But it, it goes beyond this because Poland won't do this uh, without certain assurances from Russia. And uh, among those assurances is that Russia will extend its nuclear umbrella over Belarus so that if the Baltic states or Poland were to engage in some sort of uh, military adventurism in response to a Belarusian move into Western Ukraine, um, that you know, Russia, that Russia's nuclear arsenal would come into play. So this is a very, very dangerous situation. And again, it could be avoided if Poland just kept its nose out of what's going on in Ukraine. But Poland has been making noises for some time now that it has, uh, that it intends 
to incorporate Western Ukraine back into Poland, keeping in mind that in 1939 it was taken away, 1945, uh, Stalin once again took it away and gave it to others. And the Poles feel that historically this territory belongs to them. I'm glad you made that uh, point, though we don't have too much time to dilate upon it. But uh, we're being asked potentially to die in a nuclear winter uh, over whether unpronounceable place names are to be in Ukraine or in Russia when they've actually been in a multiple number of countries already in the course of the last hundred years. Maybe uh, that's a discussion for another time. Finally, Scott, Uh, and I'm grateful for your time always. Uh, President Macron said today, again, I could scarcely believe my eyes, that uh, President Putin has to get back to the table to negotiate. Uh, A table at which, number one, the Ukrainians have said explicitly they will never sit at, and moreover, a table that was burned by the EU, including Macron, and NATO in general, uh, eight months ago. Uh, They are the ones that say uh, that uh, no negotiated settlement is possible, that only the defeat of Russia can bring about the end of this war. Uh, Is this a sign that Macron is weakening, or is he just talking out of his backside? Well, it's it's both actually. Um, I, I mean, there's no consistency in um, Macron or anybody in the European community right now, and they speak about Russia. So almost everything they say comes out of their proverbial backsides. But uh, it's it's also a a recognition on the part of France and a growing recognition on the part of almost everybody in in Europe that Ukraine has lost this conflict. The uh, to 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 coin a or to bring a historical analogy. Uh, from the American Civil War, um, the September offensive in Kharkov was their high water mark, uh, similar to that of the Confederate Army on the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg when Pickett's charge was undertaken. Um, you know, they'll never be as good as they were at that point in time. They burned their reserves, they have nothing left. Uh, Russia's mobilizing faster than Ukraine can rebuild. Uh, Russia has a strategic air campaign that's degrading Ukraine's infrastructure, and it's going to be a long, grueling, tragic decline to unconditional defeat. And Macron recognizes this. So he is now starting to panic and and say, Russia must come to the table. Well, why would you invite Russia to the table again if Russia is losing? I thought Russia lost. I thought the Russian army was defeated. I thought, I thought, I thought. No, it turns out that Russia's winning. Macron is panicked. Zelensky's panicked. NATO's panicked. Europe's panicked. Biden's panicked. There's nothing they can do to stop this outcome. Um, and, and so they're hoping that, what, Putin's going to uh, win the war for them by surrendering on the moment of his greatest victory? I think not. Scott Ritter, as always, a pleasure to talk with you and an education, I'm sure, for our whole audience this evening. Thanks for uh, joining us. Is China an enemy of the UK is the question uh, that I'm asking on the poll. Uh, You've got until more or less the end of the show to answer it. Uh, Please do so. 28% it says on Twitter. No, 72%. On YouTube, yes, 13%. No, 87%. And on Telegram, 
yes 18%, no 82%. So a bit less than a quarter, uh, but still well over a fifth of the respondents uh, to this poll think China is an enemy of the UK. I really would like to know why you think that. My next guest has been a friend of mine for more than 30 years. He's the co-editor of Friends of Socialist China, and he has worked as a consultant on Chinese affairs for many, many years. It's been my experience that there's nothing about China, its history and its present, that Keith Bennett doesn't know. And I'm glad to say he joins us on the first edition of the midweek mother of all talk shows. Keith, uh, thanks uh, for that. You may have been surprised, as I was, to discover from the sun uh, that the British state now, from this day, designates China as a threat. What can that possibly mean? It's a very good question. Uh, I think like a lot of these things that are that are upcoming, they're a surprise at the moment they are happening, but actually they've been well signaled in advance. And I think it's actually quite difficult to to work out what's really meant by it beyond uh, showmanship uh, in terms of it being a policy of Liz Truss. I, I mean, you would normally dismiss any opinion held by Liz Truss as, as being that of an idiot, which is not really worth commenting on. The only reason it's worth commenting on is that she happens, for the moment at least, uh, to be the Prime Minister. But it, it reflects, and I think, a, a, a worldview that she's articulated for the last decade and a bit, at least, in, in the book that she wrote with some other Tory dinosaurs, Britannia Unchained, which really seeks to get behind the United States even more so uh, than most mainstream uh, politicians in Britain do. And, and that, as you know, from your own experience, not least, is something that takes some doing, but she uh, seems to, to want to do it. And we've seen, start, starting not with Donald Trump, starting at least with Obama, followed on by Trump, followed even more so by Biden that the United States has ripped up decades of, you know, more or less cooperative relations with China, um, some, you know, always ups and downs, but basically cooperative relations in, in, in favor of a new Cold War. And Liz Truss is um, seeking to, um, to, to get behind that. It's, uh, you know, it's an extraordinary... China, 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 has, China has done nothing to warrant this, has it? What harm has China ever done to us? Well, in my opinion, absolutely none. I mean, China has, as you say, done nothing to to warrant this this behaviour. And I think it's a, you know, it is an extraordinary turnaround. Uh, I was watching the the show um, earlier before before I was called on, and and you referred to how David Cameron and George Osborne. Just seven years ago, 2015, when Xi Jinping made his state visit, declared that there was a, a golden era in China-Britain relations. George Osborne was saying that there was no um, area of the British economy that wasn't open to foreign investment. He was a Chinese investment. He was boasting that Britain was the most open country to investment with China. He was practically rattling a, beg a begging bowl. 
um, in Beijing. And, and when Xi Jinping came on his state visit, he didn't just get the golden coach down the Mall. He and David Cameron were up in Manchester having selfies with Sergio Aguera at Manchester City. Uh, he was taken by Cameron to the local pub nearest to Chequers for a pint and fish and chips. It's a bit of a come down from a state banquet in Beijing, but never mind. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's the same, you know, people, people seem to forget it's the same government. It's the same political party that's in power that has made this reversal. And China really hasn't changed at all uh, in that period. I mean, Liz Truss herself in her otherwise forgettable ministerial career, at one time she was extolling the virtues of selling as much British cheese as possible to the Chinese market. Another time she was in Shanghai saying that we're terrible at teaching maths in the UK and we need to uh, bring Chinese teachers over to the UK. Uh, now she wants to have this um, Cold War, at least, with, with China. And as you say, it's not China that is sailing gunboats up the channel and through the Solent. It's Britain that's got the AUKUS nuclear submarine deal with Australia and the United States to threaten China. It's Britain that's uh, sending um, its warships through, through the Taiwan Straits, through Chinese territorial waters. You know, if there was any country in this equation that should be saying, that this country is our enemy. It's China that should be saying it about Britain, yet it's the other way around. Um, in a sane country, uh, the media at least would be asking, well, were the Tories wrong then, or are they wrong now? Uh, they can't have been right on both occasions. It cannot have been right seven years ago uh, to basically lie down with your backside in the air uh, for the Chinese and welcoming them to a golden era. And yet, seven years on, they are a threat. Uh, we must have been wrong on one of those occasions because no one can point to, and you certainly haven't uh, pointed to, anything that China has done differently in the last seven years uh, in which our policy has turned 180 degrees. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. China hasn't done anything differently, but I think the point that's to be made about the press is that it's actually not that people like Liz Trust and her hangers on like Tom Tugendhat or Ian Duncan Smith, not that they need much encouragement. 
but the press is is uh, cheering them on. The liberal press like The Guardian is cheering them on. And of course, the right-wing press, The Mail, The Telegraph, The Times, um, and so on. And it was very interesting that in order to try and rescue his Tory leadership campaign, uh, Rishi Sunak had to enter a race to the bottom about who could be tougher and more hostile to China. Whereas, you know, just a year ago, in his Mansion House speech on 1st of July 2021, Rishi Sunak struck a very different note to what Liz Truss uh, did when she spoke at uh, Mansion House in April 2022, when Rishi Sunak said, too often the debate on China lacks nuance. Well, if we're talking about the debate in the Tory party, or indeed the Labour Party, or in the British media, that's certainly true. And Rishi Sunak says the truth is, China is both one of the most important economies in the world and as and a state with fundamentally different values to ours. We need a mature and balanced relationship. Fair enough. He had to resile on that. He had to compete with trust as to who, who could say the most ridiculous things about China to uh, to try and salvage his campaign. And the Mail and the Telegraph were chewing him over as being allegedly soft on China, talking about how many thousands of people his father-in-law employs in China through his comp- uh, the software company Infosys, uh, and so on. So you have this kind of where the press should be holding government to account, you have them actually joined in an unholy alliance. Yeah, it's a kind of schizophrenia, but uh, it's a self-harming uh, one. Uh, we've moved into now, uh, as a result of this designation, uh, a period of self-harm. Uh, in the days when I used to regularly give speeches in universities, I wouldn't go near one now, uh, it was full of Chinese students. In the days when I used to speak at very expensive private schools in England, uh, they were full of Chinese schoolgirls and schoolboys. Uh, the uh, Chinese invested in our, our nuclear uh, uh, energy. I wish we'd done more to build it up. Uh, they invested in so many parts uh, of our uh, economy. They're not likely to be queuing up to invest now, are they? Well, I think a lot of Chinese business would still like to invest in the UK. Um, it's just that um, that they, they, you know, business doesn't like um, business doesn't like instability, and Chinese business people are very worried about the atmosphere here. As you say, so many, you know, Britain basically privatized its higher education, and it's been relying on overseas student fees. The biggest number of those are, are from China. I live in Dulwich, and you know we've got one of the most expensive public schools in the country just around the corner from me, uh, Dulwich College. You walk through Dulwich, you hear Mandarin being spoken. Uh, but increasingly, uh, Chinese parents, and bearing in mind most Chinese parents because of the policy pursued in China for a few decades, most Chinese parents have only one child. They're very precious. And they're thinking, are we, do we really want to send them to this country where COVID is not taken seriously, where they're under risk of racial attacks, uh, where our country is is being traduced. This is is an example of self-harm. It's the same with um, 
in terms of the economy, there's at least 150,000 British jobs uh, that are dependent on economic links with China. It's not just the nuclear. Uh, British Steel would have gone out of business had it not been acquired by a Chinese company. Now, because of British government policy, that investment is at risk. If that if British Steel closes, it's going to be devastating uh, in 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 Scunthorpe. This is you know this is this is the leveling up that we that we're getting. We're actually wiping out bits of productive industry uh, through short sighted foreign policy. I know that uh, Beijing doesn't uh, uh, weigh up for the first editions of the Sun, uh, but what will the reaction in China be in government circles when they finally get around to reading it? Well, there was there's a daily press conference of the Chinese Foreign Ministry, and the young lady who's the latest Foreign Affairs spokesperson uh, was asked about this, and I mean, obviously she refuted and, and dismissed the charges that were made, but she concluded, I think, with a very telling point. She said that pointing the finger at, at, at China will not help the UK to solve its own deep-seated problems. Well, uh, that's masterful understatement, the kind of understatement we used to be famous for ourselves. Keith Bennett, China specialist, co-editor of Friends of Socialist China, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows on this historic uh, occasion speak to you. One man I'm very keen to speak to. Uh, Marilyn Monroe popped out of a cake and sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President, to Jack Kennedy long, long ago. Uh, I can't do that, wouldn't do that. But Ravi Gukatasan, the owner of Critical Cosmetics and the sponsor of the first hour, of the mother of all talk shows midweek edition is on the line and it is his birthday so forget the birthday cake Ravi except from all of us here at the moats the very warmest birthday wishes many happy returns to you thanks George <clears throat> thank you very much now uh, tell the audience tell the audience uh, a bit about the company, a bit about your products. You know, I, I retired, um, okay, I started my own company at the age of 26, right after I got my PhD in chemistry. And like you said in the last hour, which of course I made my money through capitalism. Absolutely. And and in it, I also knew from my background, I, I believe, George, I must, I'm like you in the context, I cannot see the difference between left and right doesn't even exist anymore. So my point is I knew I was always a rebel outside the box, looking at it, thinking, God damn it, this is not right. So in that context, well, you know what? I've, my best friend is my ex-wife, Carla, and I, we're the one who started it um, um, when I was 26. Anyway, my comment was, we sold it. We, I mean, I retired three and a half years ago, but I was deeply, deeply unhappy, I would put it. 
unhappy in the context of how the whole ecosystem, how the food and everything is getting, getting destroyed by the big global corporations. When it, people don't realize 20 products constitute 80% of our food supply. That is a shocking thing. And meanwhile, we are not giving value to local ecosystem and local, um, how do I put it? Um, plants, trees, whatever we could harvest from it, there's no value. It's somehow they have zero value. But God forbid, you know, you take 100 acres or 500 acres and grow something that has value than what it used to grow on it. So that's has been my mission now in it to show there's a whole different way of doing things going forward. The ultimate goal of 220KM is really is to set up in every country. We really don't have in a organization and work with local farmers and protect the biodiversity of that local area, bring, let them grow and bring that in. We, somebody has to process it there and they can ship it back to Toronto and we know what to do with it after that in the context of bring it out into a particular cosmetic line or in, or in the context of particular ingredients. That's, that is the ultimate goal. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a remarkable man uh, that uh, can have his ex-wife as his best friend. Uh, so I take my hat off uh, to you for that. I can't myself claim uh, that my best friends are my ex-wives. Um, I, I wish it were otherwise, but uh, full marks to you. Uh, and is it your cosmetics that have got you looking so young? Uh, you're 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 three years retired, but you look like uh, you're still in the first flush. Uh, what kind of cosmetics are we talking about here? I look at uh, my thing is a five-year-old child should be able to read what we have on our product and should understand what's in it. Like I got a PhD, I could take a cosmetic line and I could read it. You know what? I need another PhD to figure out what the hell did they put into it. Right. So in the context, what, what I'm saying is that ours is we only add three ingredients and it is food grade ingredient. And we and it's in a powder format. All people have to do is to take that, add the necessary water, make it into a paste, put it over your face or your hair, leave it for 20 minutes, take a shower or wash it off. And you know what, I could tell you, I mean, I have to speak as a scientist. It definitely works because at least I have about 30 plus odd people testing it out because we don't do any animal testing. So I'm the first guinea pig. I test it first and then only, and as long as there's no any reaction, then I get others to test it out. So I hope that's, that's the reason, um, George, I look this young. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got some of your products now. Gayatri got me them, and uh, she's going to uh, 
to slather me in your products uh, every <laughs> night from now on. I look forward to looking as young as you and to a long and fruitful association together, Ravi. I can't thank you enough, and I'm sure the audience feels the same for making the midweek moats possible through your sponsorship of the first hour. It's a great do, pleasure to see you. I just want, I did send the guy to an email saying, we hope to be sponsoring you guys next month also. So I know you mentioned something in, you know, before I did send her an email so she could send me the invoice. So, and it's 7-1, by the way. Fantastic it was Right. So it's seven one, by the way, the final result. It was not six one. I was and I'm glad it was at four thirty. You guys only called me now because I got to watch the whole game while I was listening to your show. I'm talking about the <laughs> Liverpool Rangers game. And you being a man United fan, that's so it, was it was it seven it was six one when when someone gleefully texted me, uh rather un, ungenerously, actually. Uh, I, I could tell just from the text that he was celebrating the score. I don't myself celebrate. I wanted Rangers to win. Thanks, Ravi, for everything. And God bless you and yours. Uh, let's go straight to the calls now. We've got more than half an hour of calls to come. Ash is in West London on China. Go ahead, Ash. What a pleasure speaking to you, Brother George. How are you? By the grace of God, good. Thank you very much. What would you like to say, Ash? Uh, uh, George, it's obviously everything's all so worrying. Um, <clears throat> I'm a keen follower of your show, as always. Um, I was listening to Jeff, uh, um, uh, this, uh, this, this, uh, I forgot his name now, he's a teacher. He's a Columbian uh, University professor, Jeffrey Sachs, I think. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, was... Trem- unbelievably powerful. That, that was one of the most powerful statements from a man like him I have ever heard, Ash. The Nord Stream, I mean, they've, 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 the Bloomberg TV, they put it down. Um, but, uh, George, if, if I, can I ask you, George, um, um, <clears throat> you're, you've, you've got a colorful uh, background, a strong political uh, acumen. Um, what can we all do apart from obviously, uh, um, uh, you know, following yourselves and um, what, what can we do as constituents? I mean, Liz, uh, Liz Truss, I, I can't swear online, but um, she's whatever she's talking about China is not a, a reflection of, of what we are, uh, what we're um, uh, uh, the opinion is generally. But what do what can we do? I mean, is there possibly could we could set up a petition uh, or something? That's a good point. Uh, maybe uh, Keith Bennett, Bennett and his uh, friends, socialist uh, friends of socialist China. Maybe they should do that. Uh, maybe they should find a broadly based platform to do that. I feel sure that the view you're expressing is widely shared, not least in Scunthorpe, uh, without. Uh, Chinese investment, the uh, town would be literally a desert. Uh, And I think there are many, many people who are fearful of this maniacal drive of the British government to make enemies of everyone they can possibly make enemies of. Uh, As I said earlier, they left the European Union, fell out with 28 countries, and then declared war on two of the most important countries in the world, China and Russia. 
talk about how to lose friends and influence amongst people, uh, the British government has turned out to be exemplars of that. And as I said earlier, I, Britain is the most important place for me. The British are the most important people for me. I'm the leader of a British political party that, however far-fetched, would like to take power and govern this country. So it's Britain's interest I am punting here, Ash. I'm not saying what I'm saying for the sake of China. I'm saying what I'm saying for the sake of Britain, the British economy and the British people. And the first thing our country has got to start doing is insisting on a government that puts our interests first rather than the interests of other people. That's why Trump came to power, you know. He temporarily, as it happened, persuaded the American people that all these corporations and the political class have sold America's interests across the globe for their own personal profit. They have run America down. That's why his slogan of putting America first had such resonance. And it's about time British politicians put Britain first, not America first, or any of the other powers that, whose interests we put first, no names, no pack drill, ash. We've got to get busy on this and let our politicians know that we are not going to go quietly into this good night. Thanks for the call in West London. I'm going down under to Australia where Sean awaits. Go ahead, Sean. Hiya, George. How are you doing? I recognize the cadence, if you'll forgive the pun. How are you doing, my son? And uh, I just wanted to give you a quick call to congratulate you on the return of the midweek show and, uh, and uh, you know, keep up the magnificent work. Um, um, I, I, I just wonder how long the uh, end of the peer... Uh, act that Liz Truss is doing, the Thatcher Tribute Act is going to go on for. I had uh, I had visions of her not lasting the Brian Clough 44 days at one stage, but uh, sh sh surely this fiasco can't go on much longer, George. Well, you're a, a Leeds fan, and so remember the 44 days uh, very well. Uh, I think she might be on the slide uh, already. Um, the talk of uh, the beating of desks uh, at the 1922 committee earlier may be moonshine. We don't know who was there. We don't know who stayed away. But what we did see was Liz Truss at Prime Minister's questions today. And as somebody put it in a very fine piece I uh, just read before the show, it was, uh, as she came into the chamber, it was the sound of a knot of people sounding, trying to sound like a throng, if you know what I mean. It was thin. Absolutely. It was paper thin. Uh, and when she left, the chief secretary to the treasury made a major financial uh, announcement, statement, was questioned for a very long time. It went on for longer than an hour. It was 45 minutes before a single conservative 
entered the fray in support of the government and supporting the government as the rope supports the hanging man, supporting the chief secretary, but demanding this, that, and the next thing. Uh, the Liz Trust government, Sean, has made more U-turns in the last week than any government in British history. Uh, it's None of its policies can survive five minutes' contact with its own MPs. Its own MPs are in such a state of terror that they're going to lose their seats at any subsequent general election. They're just shooting down every policy that Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng come out with, and then they have to quickly drop them. Anyway, how's the Labour government doing in Australia? Not too bad, actually. Not too bad. They've started really well. Uh, the, 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 as you know, unfortunately, the so-called Labour parties of the world now are, uh, are, are, uh, are two cheeks of the same backside, as you famously said. Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're doing okay. Um, incidentally, uh, Liz Truss, you know, the poor scamp Liz Truss, who went to a comprehensive school in Leeds. As you know, I'm a Leeds man. And uh, the, the, the part of Leeds that a comprehensive school was in, they took the fish and chips home in a briefcase. So uh, d d don't be fooled by... Uh, <laughs> don't be fooled by the, uh, the post scamp Liz Truss, you know. Absolutely brilliant. Liz Truss took her fish and chips home in a briefcase. Last word to you, Sean. Yeah, incidentally, George, what I was going to say was, um, uh, and 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 uh, th this is a shining beacon of light in in a in a in a sea of fog. Uh, this show, and and I think that in years to come, the last two years, and especially since the Ukraine situation's been going on, um, you know, the 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 media are stealing Goebbels' act, um, and 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 they should be very much ashamed of themselves because. People, yeah, people yeah. will Although realize. It takes, uh, people will realize. Yeah, people are going to realize soon enough. But that, Sean, that, uh, that, Sean, that. it takes uh, it takes a conscience to feel ashamed, and I'm afraid these people are entirely without conscience. God bless you, my friend. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Mike is in South Carolina. Also, a pleasure to hear from you, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, good evening. It's great to talk to you. A great show going on. You had a great show Sunday. I really like that. And uh, uh, first, I want to, you know, uh, just add again my thanks that I did on the chat for uh, uh, Ravi. Uh, happy birthday, and thank you for sponsoring this uh, this show that is is really really important right now. Brilliant. Uh, but uh, Brilliant. yeah, I thanks, actually man. called to talk to you about yeah. I called to talk to you about China, and that's what I told them, and that's what we'll do. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm just a couple of years your senior, but we're close. We're real close. And, uh, you know, what I wanted to say is that, uh, I worked for three different fortune 500 companies here in the United States. And I watched them, uh, all sell out, uh, you know, all of their manufacturing in the United States and send it to China. This all happened, you know, you know, when they were talking about giving China the most favored, uh, trading status, you know, in nations. And, uh, uh, they they were the cause of their own problems right now. And the reason they're attacking China right now is that within a year or so, they're going to surpass the United States. 
in uh, uh, their production capabilities. In fact, they already have passed the United States. If they didn't count... They have. As a, they're the biggest manufacturers now, Mike. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, if, they, it, you know, if they didn't count shuffling money around here in the United States as actual you know, real work, uh, it, we, they, they've been passed exactly. for a long, long time. But, but it was our uh, own. Yeah. Do you know, Mike, Mike, let me interrupt you. Do you know that Britain and the United States count prostitution in their gross domestic product. Do you know yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, count, they want to count everything they can to keep those numbers up, you know? And, uh, and sh But shuffling paper and, and stocks and stuff is ridiculous, you know, to, to be counting this stuff as, as, you know, real work because nobody, no person benefits from it, you know? But, uh, uh, exactly. yeah, that's, uh, you know, you know exactly. I'm listening to all this. No, you're right. That's, uh, that's what's happening. But, but, Mike, where is it headed? Well, I, here's the thing. This just brings back to me all the time that I, that I you know, spent uh, reading uh, 1984, Orwell's 1984, about Oceania, uh, Eurasia, and East Asia. You know, the, the conflict, you know, they're all, you know, basically totalitarian states, but they're all run, you know, uh, and they're in constant war. And, and, and the idea of China now is the United States has to do everything it can to, to try and keep China from surpassing it, which they can't. They can't stop it. And, and that's part of the reason that there's so much uh, uh, conflict over Taiwan. And uh, uh, Europe, as far as I can tell, there's no reason for the UK or any other country to have bad feelings toward China because they've never done anything wrong. You know, all the stuff they've done is... No, is, is, uh, it's know. the other way around. It's the other way around. Uh, Mike, thanks uh, for the call, as always. In my famous, uh, as it turned out, debate against uh, Steve Bannon, uh, the key Donald Trump uh, aide, uh, he was talking about China having stolen the American lunch. And I made exactly the point that you just made, Mike. I said, it wasn't China that stole the American lunch. It was American capitalism that stole America's lunch and moved it to China. Turned in the burgers into uh, chicken chow mein uh, because you got more of it out of your investment if you moved it out of Carolina or Philadelphia uh, uh, or Virginia. If you moved out of there and moved your factory to China, uh, you got more profit. That's why they did it. So how to blame China for that is really quite bamboozling. Kamal is in Springfield in America. Go ahead, Kamal. I am in Springfield, uh, George Galloway. A pleasure and an honor to speak with you. I remember quite well in New York pleasure City. Pleasure is mine. Mark's, <laughs> I remember in uh, St. Mark's Church when you were debating with Christopher Hitchings and told him that he was an example, the unique example of a butterfly turning into a slug. And I was quite wild. Exactly, I yeah. kept that memory. That was one of my best time. lines, you know. <laughs> I know that. That was one of my best lines, come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I said it was a phenomenon unknown in nature hitherto, a, a metamorphosis backwards from a butterfly to a slug. I thought it was sheer genius myself. Anyway, go ahead, come on. 
<laughs> well, anyway, you know, I was called by your folks, and I was uh, I was calling about the simple question: Was China an enemy of the UK? Of course, the answer is no. And I wanted to be one of the statistics that said that. But since then, she asked. She said, "Prepare a question." So here's my question, George. Um, do you think that you know my namesake Muhammad Ali was noted for his rope dope? And I've always had the feeling since we began talking about this miserable conflict that, that my country, unfortunately, has blundered into with purpose, um, that um, Russia was playing rope-a-dope with Ukrainians and that they could have come off the ropes and done a TKO anytime they chose to. And the recent events following the destruction of that bridge in uh, Crimea seems to be pointing in that direction. Your thoughts? Well, uh, it's uh, sheer genius. Uh... Let me tell you that the rope dope, uh, the rumble in the jungle, the victory of Muhammad Ali in Kinshasa was uh, one of the several, but one of the main epiphanies of my life. Because I loved boxing, I was a boxer once upon a time, because I loved Muhammad Ali as I loved uh, my own uh, father, uh, because I regard Muhammad Ali as one of the greatest men that ever lived, never mind the greatest sportsman, a man, uh, I'm referring back now to Abdul a minute ago, uh, who was ready to pay a very high price and did pay a very high price for standing up for what was right uh, in refusing to go to Vietnam. So when he came off the ropes, that night and knocked out the the super powerful almost superman super uh, strength george foreman when he came off the ropes having roped that dope for all those rounds and everyone who loved him wincing as every blow from foreman landed when he opened up with that combination and floored George Foreman and stood above him in triumph. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. I'm not joking. I felt happier that moment almost than I have ever felt before. So rope-a-dope means a lot to me, Kamal. And I think you might be right. That might be exactly what happened. Maybe the Russians came off the rope as soon as the Kerch Bridge, which they had delineated as a red line, was set on fire by a terrorist attack. And maybe the result will be the same. Brilliant call, Kamal. And uh, VJ is in Stevenage. Go ahead, VJ. Hi, George. A couple of things. Uh, firstly, you've got a fantastic sponsor, Ravi, and I'm um, already on the website looking at the products. Uh, secondly, regarding Thank China, you. I hope everyone. I hope everyone does that, VJ. Yeah, thank you. It's very easy to find the website. Uh, but yeah, so regarding China, it just uh, you know Britain for some reason follows America, uh, and if the Americans say yeah we don't like China, then Britain has to say we don't like China. It's a crazy situation. Um, and it just everything we follow that Americans do, we end up in a in a bad way. 
we should, as you said, we should be more independent, more think for ourselves, for the country. It is in our interest to be friends with Russia and China and India and so on, and not follow what America wants, which is to only be their friend. I think that's beautifully put, because America does not have our best interests at heart. It has the interests of its own ruling elite at heart. And that has nothing to do with the interests even of the British ruling elite, never mind the mass of the British people and the European people as a whole. In the last week, Joe Biden has told Schultz, Macron and Liz Truss that we are America's closest ally. Closest ally, all three of us are his closest ally. He'll say anything uh, to uh, ensure the continued docility and subservience of the European governments to American imperial power. And it is a pitiful sight to see. It's a miserable, pitiful sight to see. Germany is a great people. We are a great people. The French are a great people. And yet we're on our knees in front of a man that can't find his way to the toilet in the Vatican and ends up uh, in a toilet accident in front of His Holiness the Pope. Uh, this is demeaning and degrading for us. And it's about time we shook ourselves free from it. I was explaining to my uh, youngest son, uh, playing Bob Marley the other night in the car, Redemption Song. None but ourselves can free our mind. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free your mind. These are two of the most important lines ever written and written by Bob Marley, a great sage, a great philosopher, a great man. So uh, this is what we have to do, Vijay. It's in our interest to have good relations with India, with China, and with Russia. So why would we spoil them for somebody else's interest? That just makes absolutely no sense. Now, I've got a call in Serbia. I need to take it, Vijay. Thanks for your call. Gaja is in Serbia on the Ukraine crisis from Asin, from Serbia. Gaja, welcome to the show. Nice to hear from you. Uh, I want to salute you for your honesty and uh, correct assessment of current world affairs. Thank but you, uh, do you think, is there a connection between... Uh, the solution of former Yugoslavia and uh, current uh, Ukrainian disaster. I think maybe there is uh, some pathway in circus tent style managing world affairs from point A to point B. What do you think? I think it's a seamless garment. Uh, the NATO uh, bombardment for almost 90 days uh, on, on Belgrade, the results of which I have seen and filmed and can be seen on my YouTube channel right now. Uh, the uh, destruction of Yugoslavia first, then the destruction of Serbia, the uh, illegal annexation uh, by NATO of an important part of Serbia, and then the fake recognition uh, awarded to that fake entity, 
created by the NATO butcher's knife, uh, is, of course, seamlessly a part of what has happened in the Ukraine. And the idea that Kosovo can be independent by fiat, by simple announcement, not even by a vote or a referendum, and can leave Serbia and be an independent state, but the people of eastern Ukraine cannot, even though they have had a vote, even though the Crimea voted in 1991 to stay in the Soviet Union and voted overwhelmingly after the coup in 2014 to uh, be part of Russia, even though these four regions that Scott Ritter talked about voted in overwhelming numbers in free elections that we could all see if we were allowed to see. The queues a mile long, the thousands and thousands of people going in to vote in those referendums, which were either ignored or rubbished. Compare and contrast the treatment of Kosovo and the treatment of eastern Ukraine. But the same villains exercising exactly the same so-called rules-based order, which, as Putin pointed out, no one has ever seen these rules. No one knows who drew them up. No one agreed them. No one can amend them. They are an alternative to international law. They are a means by which the already powerful rule by giving orders to everyone else. Can't tell you how happy I am as a Red Star Belgrade man myself to end the show with a call from Serbia. Thank you to everyone who's called, who's written in. I'll read everything, I promise you. And I'll be back again, God willing, on Sunday night at 7 p.m. UK time. No, a different time. 7 p.m. UK time for the Sunday edition of the Mother of All Talk Shows. And every week, God willing, there'll be two moats every week. Please spread the word. Please spread the clips. Make sure the audience grows and make our sponsor happy. Thanks, Ravi. Happy birthday. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.